Kessler here from Grunthal. Paul Kingsley with the 30-second board to five. Brian, the gate is down. This is a sharp left-hander. Who's going to shot? Looks like Darcy Lange on that Richmond Gallup. Kawasaki gets the jump. That's where it all started. Big MX Radio is on the air. Fueled by passion, focused on motocross. Fox Racing Canada, Phoenix Handlebars, Guts Racing, 204 Skate Shop, and Throttle Syndicate make it possible to bring you the news, the interviews, and the point of views inside the sport of motocross. The gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by Phoenix Handlebars, Phoenix Handlebars is one of my favorite companies in the sport of motocross. Jason Gerald is an absolutely amazing guy. He's got great product. He's passionate about the sport. He wants to fit you for a brand new set of handlebars for you to go out there and enjoy the sport. Go to phoenixhandlebars.com. Use their fitment tools. Uh, use their survey to figure out exactly what bar is ready and right for you. And, uh, and Jason will make sure that that thing's in the mail at a moment's notice. So uh, give those guys a chance. Phoenix Handlebars, they're a great uh, sponsor of the Big MX Radio podcast and really appreciate if you support them. Same goes for Andy Gregg and everybody over at Guts Racing. Just great product and great people in general. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, I'm a huge proponent of buying from people rather than buying from companies. I, I, I need to attach myself to uh, somebody that I respect on the other side of that transaction. And uh, you won't find uh, someone in the motocross industry who commands more respect and, and conducts himself with more integrity than a guy like Andy Gregg, who is uh, uh, no questions asked, always been a huge supporter of the Big MX Radio podcast, uh, all the way going back to uh, the, the first years that we were doing it, and uh, he, he's got something in the mail for me right this very minute, so we're looking forward to that. And finally, Fox Racing Canada is a huge fan and a huge supporter of the Big MX Radio podcast. Whether it's Danica White, who we've got to get on this podcast in the next little bit here. It's been a while since we had her on. She's been busy. She's been uh, going coast to coast to coast here up here in Canada. Uh, getting set to launch a lot of the uh, 2023 stuff, including uh, some really exciting things on the footwear side of things. But let's be honest. Um, like the gear to be in is Fox, whether you're on the track or in the pits. Uh, they've got everything you need for protective to uh, the latest and greatest threads for off the track as well. Go check them out. My personal approach to it, I always go to the website. I check things out. I take notes of uh, of some of the, the different colorways and uh, the names of the, some of the certain products that I really have my eye on. And then I head down to my favorite dealership, like Headingley Sports Shop in here or uh, Maple Ridge out on the on the West Coast. Um, and go to, go to your local dealer. Those are the experts. They've, they go through these product product knowledge meetings where they're going to get all the rundown of the features and benefits of those products and how they're going to suit you, suit you best. So go ahead, go to the website, check things out, and then go to your local dealer and look for some availability. Uh, or you can just go straight through Royal Distributing or something like that and, uh, and but, uh, support a, a local uh, distributor as well. 
I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. Three minutes into this thing, we haven't talked anything about dirt bikes, but that's okay. we got a great interview with Vincent Harrison coming down the pipe. But before we get to any of that, we're going to uh, run through a few topics of, uh, of note that I wanted to get through. First and foremost being the Justin Barsha disqualification from the Buds Creek National this past Saturday. In my humble opinion, this did not deserve a DQ. Um, obviously, there's... Uh, like 10, 12, probably more uh, YouTube videos dedicated to the indiscretions of one Justin Barsha on a motocross track even before his pro career started. And, and uh, it's been a theme for him. He's Bam Bam. He, uh, we know this. That's not, that's not new information. Um, but I would have really liked to have seen this particular instance um, judged in a vacuum. This is outdoors. This isn't supercross. Uh, this doesn't have a whole lot of imp implications that have anything to do with, uh, how he handled himself at Salt Lake, where he, uh, basically sent, uh, Malcolm Stewart into the cheap seats. Um, and from, from my interpretation, and I slowed it right down for the GoPro footage is obviously they're racing hard. It's, uh, it's, they're sprinting at that, at that point in the moto. And, uh, Dylan comes in, like he's the first one that comes in into frame on, uh, on Justin. And like, I don't know if, if for those who are listening, you've been in a similar situation, you get knocked off track. Uh, you might get a little bit of whiskey and then your, your first and foremost is just to get back onto the track, get back into racing. And obviously Justin's an, an aggressive guy, uh, throw it in on him. He's going to throw it right back at you more often than not twice as hard. Um, and I think he comes back onto the track, uh, enters that portion of the corner after going pat or going over, uh, the, the track marker. Cause obviously he was off the track. He goes across the corner and with the implications to make uh, with the, the intention of making some contact. Did he mean to completely uh, take um, Ferrandis down? Not entirely, I don't think. Uh, and even if that was his uh, his intention, I don't think that uh, like a disqualification was not no. In my opinion, was not necessary there. Um, that was a. Uh, uh, a hard aggressive pass that was rubbing and racing and uh and dylan ends up going down uh to my understanding dylan was able to finish the moto um and uh like honestly i i would have i would have liked to seen a fine obviously like finding these guys it's not that big a deal you'd have to find them a quite a sizable amount of money for them to really feel it in their pocketbook um and a fine of points as well, like uh, maybe five points or a few positions, but a disqualification altogether, uh, that really surprised me. And I was a bit disappointed to see that uh, there wasn't a video aside from what Justin released uh, as the reasoning. Literally, like if the AMA uh, made this decision, that was on either what an official saw in real time or if there was a video that we have not seen, they must have had been able to review a number of times. Or uh, they, they wouldn't have been able to see Justin Barsh's helmet, uh, his GoPro footage until after the race, until he had posted it. So it, it's it's very confusing to me. And I was, for, uh, first and foremost, was very, very disappointed to see the D him get DQ'd for that. I don't think that it was <clears throat> it was necessary. And from my understanding that, that he receives... 
uh no points on the day if that's if i'm correct on that i'll switch over to the results sheet right quickly here and it was he reward any points yeah he was he was awarded points for the first moto not the second moto so he's like he, he gets uh 13 points uh eighth place 13 points on the day uh so essentially one one moto was stricken from him uh and like Honestly, that that's really too bad because he he's uh, that makes him slide back in the points a little bit. Uh, he is now uh, he's sitting in seventh in points, where uh, well he's almost he's 50, he's forty points back of uh, uh, wait no yes he's forty points back of Ryan Dungey. So that's not uh, a huge leap and bound. That's like that fourteen points. Like he'd be a little bit closer to Dungey uh, battling for fifth or sixth in, uh, in the championship points. But, uh, either way, I, I think that that was a, a poor call and I was disappointed to see that. So let's flip things over to the 250 class, uh, in, in, uh, Lucas oil promo across AMA nationals. We'll touch on that before we uh, talk a little bit about what's going on North of the border here. And, um, a little bit of a tip of the cap right off the hop to RJ Hampshire, a guy who has had, um, I, I think saying it lightly would be a frustrating 2022. Um, never really got off on the right foot with this motorcycle. Uh, it's been known that he's, he hasn't been happy with his motorcycle. He's been asking for different things. Uh, in, a, in a post-race interview with Steve Mathis, he basically ex, uh, explained that he finally did get it. And that part broke. Um and uh but but like they've clearly they've they've given him the part or the the option that he was looking for and the option worked and it, it's, it's what he was uh he was hoping it would uh be able to change things for him and and that's awesome for rj knowing that he's now uh got a a bike under him over the for the next the last four motos uh that he's going to be a guy who's certainly going to be a little bit maybe a little bit more consistent in the top five um, like it's, it's kind of crazy to think the guy who won this last weekend, uh, currently sits fifth in points. His average start is outside the top 10. He's led a grand total of 10 laps the entire series. And his average finish is outside the top five. That guy just hasn't, he's the only guy outside of the, of the, the top two competitors in the series, Joe Shimoda and Jet Lawrence, who even have an overall win. And uh, he's got the one moto victory on the day, but that's pretty impressive. Like the fact that he was able to, uh, with outside of this, like obviously his average is including that first overall. He was probably outside the top seven more often than not on an average finish. Uh, and then he goes out and wins a race. And as we know, uh, the potential is always there with RJ Hampshire all the way from his monster energy cup days, uh, racing the, the supercross futures to 2022 here where, um, in the, with the right conditions, he can make something special happen. And he did exactly that. Um, he ends up, uh, uh, going, uh, one, uh, one, two, I uh, wasn't able to, uh, to get Joe smoking Joe Shimoda, uh, who gets the, uh, the moto victory, in the second moto, uh, Amshire had a had a uh, potential to go one one on the day, uh, but uh, Shimoda has been really solid. Uh, I, I and it honestly colored me surprised because um, just from his mannerisms and body language, he did look very tired at some of his uh, earliest motos in his pro career. Uh, but of course, he's a rookie at that time. I believe he was 17 or 18 years old. 
Uh, he's matured a little bit. He put some muscle on, and uh, just like honestly, these guys like they they become so so ingrained to be able to go 30 minutes that it just be it becomes what, just what they're capable of, and then from there they can let the skill take over, and also to work on some things. Obviously, he's been working with uh, Nick Way this year, and uh, the proof is in the pudding because. Uh, he was nipping at an, yet another overall and now has solidly put himself second in points ahead of Hunter Lawrence. He's six points up on Hunter with four motos to go. Um, honestly, I still kind of like Hunter uh, to to get that. Um, I think that uh, he's going to right the ship here on a couple of tracks he does well at. I believe his first ever moto victory on, on the American side was at... Uh, Paula, which is Fox Raceway, a track that jo- Joe and uh, Hunter would have a lot of time on. Uh, Joe probably more lately because he's based himself out of California, whereas Lawrence's are down at the 83 compound uh, down in Florida. So maybe uh, give uh, Joe a little bit of the, a tip of the cap. But uh, like Paula is such a it's a it's a weird racetrack, and I've ridden it before myself. Um, and, and, and for those who have been down there, like it shapes up funny. Uh, it's got really interesting dirt. It, it's um, I, I always say you're sort of riding on the soil rather than you're riding in the soil when you race in California. And maybe that's something that uh, lends itself better to, to Joe than I'm giving him credit for. Uh, but it's certainly something that uh, bodes well for the Lawrences. I think both those guys, are, I think they're going to go one, two on the day there. Uh, and then at uh, at Ironman, I think it's a toss-up between uh, Shimoda and Hunter Lawrence. Uh, but one guy who sort of needs to get back in the win column is uh, is Jet Lawrence. After not winning seven motos in a row, uh, needs to get himself a little bit of a get-right um, uh, weekend. Like he, he's actually average finish uh, is actually is actually worse than Joe Shimoda, believe it or not. Uh, obviously he has that one DNF in there. That's kind of like the outlier. That's, uh, if he had had a regular moto in there, his, his average finish goes up considerably. Uh, and he's led the, the, the most amount of laps, um, by double the closest competitor, which is of course his brother, uh, Hunter Lawrence, who's so far led 69 laps. Nice. Um, and, uh, and don't look now, but, um, Justin Cooper, also a guy who has the potential to kind of upset the apple cart as uh, things wind down for this championship. Uh, Cooper is a guy who's got tons of skill. He's he's won at, uh, I believe he's won at Ironman before, if not had some great finishes there. Um, and now he's, he's, he's on, uh, team, team USA, uh, and, and he like mission accomplished on that. Um, basically, uh, I think there was a, there was a point in the series where he's, uh, kind of had his nose out of joint that, uh, people were considering him over or considering, uh, Christian Craig over him, a guy who's not even racing a 250 F right now. Uh, and, and he was able to wick it up, uh, to his credit, um, like to, to work as hard as he has to put himself in a position to be successful on uh, a 250 F uh, like I, I would imagine this is his final year in a two in the uh, the 250 class if not if unless he races 250 outdoors next year uh, in order to get himself a championship uh, word is he's gonna forego Supercross altogether but I kind of don't see that happening I, I could at least see him uh, racing some some races on a 450 I can't imagine why you'd have him sit out the entire winter um 
in order for him to come back and race nationals. But uh, either way, um, a, a, another solid ride from him. Same thing with Mosman. Mosman was uh, coming back from a concussion. He goes 4-7 on the day. Um, a lot of just all over the place results um, and, and inconsistency. This has basically been the theme of the 250 Outdoor Series. Uh, sh- shout out to Tyler uh, Stepik, Stepik um, dropping down to a 250 after racing a 450 literally the entire series up until this last weekend or two weekends ago in Unadilla. Uh, he's put himself on a 250F and uh, inside the top 20 for points. That's awesome to see. Uh, also, shout out to Max Miller, who I think that was one of his best finishes um, at an outdoor national. So he's doing very well. As, uh, he's kind of a, on a bit of an uptick as well. So that was great to see. Um, staying on the 250 side of things, let's switch uh, north of the border where uh, I am very proud to say that uh, for the very first time in over 40 years, uh, the, um, I guess the 250 or the 125 the national championship is coming back to Manitoba. Uh, GDR, Fox Racing, uh, Gopher Dunes, Honda of, uh, of Ryder McDab. I'm, I'm turning around right now to look at his jersey sitting in the, the Big MX Radio studio here. And uh, he's a champion now. I'm going to have to ask uh, for maybe a number one to go along with this. Um, it's a beautiful jersey. And it was a beautiful season for him. One where um, Ryder faced some adversity. He showed speed. He battled back from bad starts as he always does. And he was able to wrap up the championship at the final round. And good for him. I think he he earned every single little bit of that championship. And uh, um, he had some worthy opponents. He had some down motos. He had some, he faced adversity in the form of racing with a with an injury as well. And uh, he came out better for it. So that's awesome and great to see. Um, yeah, hats off to him. And uh, also color me surprised as as uh, as much uh, of a of a contender that uh mitchell harrison was he was tough as nails all season long uh he ended up having a couple of off motos which ended up kind of spelling the end of his season uh but he was still pretty solid down the stretch um and uh yeah we're definitely a worthy combatant for Ryder the entire season long let's switch things over to the 450 class where uh we have an absolute embarrassment of riches when it comes to a 450 championship uh didn't do a podcast last week, um, frankly, just burnt out from work and, and everything else uh, in between. Finally got my uh, my Kawasaki KX125 and 250 running. Uh, not that you guys are super interested in, in my racing or riding, but uh, I am planning on racing Grunthal this weekend. Was planning on racing it earlier in the year, but wasn't able to make that happen. Um, but we're finally going back there. Uh, this is the first, the place I, I raced the, I uh, raced at the very first time back in 2001. And uh, I think that'll be my last race for the 2022 season. Uh, unless we possibly race, uh, pilot mound, the last race of the year, but, uh, we will find out, I guess we'll see, but either way, uh, yeah, that's why we didn't do a podcast last week is we were, uh, tuning up, uh, a pair of, uh, KX 125 and 250s. They are twins. They're beautiful and they're mine. I absolutely love them. Um, but 450 class from Bud's Creek, a, tra- a track where, uh, so many people refer to it as one of their favorite tracks, if not their favorite track. Um, and I, you gotta think that a, a track with a hard base like Bud's Creek that gets a little bit marbly on top, very much similar to 
Florida, where Jason Anderson spent a lot of time racing and riding in Claremont, Florida. Uh, a lot of the Floridians love that track, and it showed. Uh, Jason Anderson goes out there. He goes 2-2 on the day. 44 points is good enough for the overall victory. Uh, trailed only by three points by Eli Tomac, who took the points lead back, and only by a small margin. It is uh, it's a, it's down to one point again. Good Lord. Um, like all the things that happened this last weekend with Chase going down, not only in practice, but also in motos, um, like off of, off of the start from the first moto, he came around in 29th. That is absolutely ridiculous for that. He was able to come all the way back to fourth. And then, uh, on the, the second moto, he ends up on the first lap. He's fifth charges hard gets the lead, relinquishes that lead, and he said, you know what, no, I really need to get my homework done today, uh, and, and moves himself forward and puts himself uh, only a couple points back of Eli Tomac on the day. Uh, and uh, he's only, yeah, he's one point back of the championship, so this thing is just as tight as it was uh, seven days ago. But Eli Tomac with the advantage rolling into a track where I th- I got a I I I think uh, it definitely favors uh, Eli at uh, an Ironman, but like don't like you can't count uh, Sexton out at the last round and at uh, Fox Raceway he's that good there. Um, it's kind of crazy to think that uh, it's definitely coming down to these guys all all the way down to the last round. Um, uh, but completely out of nowhere, and he gets himself a whole shot. He he was up front all day long. Uh, Ken Roxon, uh, basically like a resurgence. Everyone was looking for him to have a resurgence and uh, and have some uh, his best motos, uh, best moto scores at Unadilla uh, the week prior. But uh, it also showed that the two-time outdoor champ can still get it done. Uh, he goes three-three on the day. Forty points is good enough for third on the on the podium. Uh, one point ahead of his teammate, which uh, I'm I'm sure that Chase would have liked to have have that point, but uh, Ken wasn't in the pl- in, in the position to give it to him uh, throughout the day. And um, yeah, like like I said, we have a championship uh, on our hands that uh, it, like you, you we do not often get a situation like this where. Uh, the championship is this close, this late in the season. Like I, I think of so many years. Like I think one year, uh, Ricky Carmichael wrapped the championship up at Millville with four rounds to go. Uh, he did that no, a number of times. Not even just his perfect seasons, but the other years where he's just absolutely untouchable. Um, uh, I think the the only other one that I can think of where it was close with Ricky was he ended up wrapping up the championship one round early at Steel City. Uh, which was was originally scheduled to be the last round of the 2003 series. Of course, that year, Kenworthy's, otherwise known as Troy, Ohio, got rained out mid-season, and then it got outright canceled. Uh, it was it was slated to be the last and 12th round of the 2003 series, and uh, that marked the last time, the very last time, that uh, that a 252 stroke would win an outdoor national as well as win in uh, a Lucas Oil Pro Motocross AMA National Championship. Uh, after that, Ricky Carmichael came back on a four-stroke, went 24-0 all the way through the 2005-4 uh, season. And then, uh, so no two-strokes would win nationals that year. And then he came back and almost went perfect the following year on a, on a Suzuki, 
were the only other guys to win nationals in 2005 was Carmichael and uh, Southwick was run went run by Chad Reed. Um, I got way too much info on that just off the top of my head. But uh, either way, that's why I do the podcast anyway. Uh, 2000, uh, uh, staying on the 450 side of things, like I said, we're going to get to an interview with Vincent Harrison right after this, but let's talk about Dylan Wright and the Canadian National Series. First and foremost, want to give a little bit of a shout out to Tyler Medaglia, uh, recouping from a dislocated shoulder. Had that happen to myself, knock on wood, that that's not going to be an issue uh, for him going forward. And he'll be able to represent Canada at the MX of Nations um, in one month time. Uh, looking, I'm hoping to go to that, that event as well. Hoping to see Tyler at that event. That would be amazing. He had himself in a, uh, an incredible season. Um, but uh, Dylan Wright had the most incredible season. Um, it had, hadn't been done in a long time for, uh, uh, for perfect seasons. In professional motocross, uh, 20 motos in a row, uh, including two three-moto format races where he was also perfect. Uh, he won every single race, uh, including a couple of uh, even when uh, Husky Canada brings in a, uh, an ambassador and a hired gun in uh, Zach Osborne. He was still able to get the job done. And uh, nonstop hats off to Dylan Wright. Uh, the championship, he was able to wrap it up early, uh, albeit only one round early because uh, also who was perfect up until the last round when he popped his shoulder out was Tyler Medaglia going 2-2 or at least yeah, getting second overall in every single national up until the final round. Um, I believe the the final round it was Moffenbeier second place followed by um, Tanner Ward. Ward gets himself on the podium to finish off the year. Solid. And then he headed down to Unadilla. To, uh, maybe he was... No, he was there this, this last weekend in uh, in Bud's Creek running the 484. Uh, and good for him. Where did he end up? The 484. 36th overall. So that's that's not the that's not the, the finishes he was looking for. Uh, 32nd and 30, uh, 35th. Uh, I'd imagine... Some uh, possibly some bike issues for uh, for Tanner Ward. You know he's better than that. He'll he would have been uh, battling up with uh, uh, the Grant Harlins and the Jeremy Hands of the world. I would assume uh, he, he had a little bit more in the tank than uh, 32, 35 on the day. But either way, uh, good to see a Canadian kid down there. But uh, as I uh, as I alluded to earlier in the show. Uh, let's get to this interview that I did with Vincent Harrison. He's a total privateer, doing it on his own, showing up in a van and uh, and and trying to qualify for Lucas Oil Pro Motocross AMA Nationals. Uh, likely to be his last one that he'll race uh, as, as part of like a, uh, a a number of races go goes. Um, heading into uh, take um, work a little bit more seriously, I suppose. Uh, it's, it's not easy doing the nationals. He'll get into that, but I uh, really appreciate everyone who takes the time to listen to these podcasts, uh, support the sponsors who spot to support this show and, uh, just go out there and enjoy your motorcycle enjoy riding. And, uh, as always, thanks for listening. With me on the line, uh, a full-time privateer and a full-time, uh, he's got a full-time job on top of that. So basically two full-time jobs on, on top of going pretty damn fast on two wheels. It's the 297 in your program, number one in your hearts, and certainly and number one in his wife's heart, Vincent Harrison. Vincent, how's it going? 
Good, man. Happy to be here on the show with you guys. Hey, thanks for making some time for us. I know you've got a, a busy week uh, from from Monday to Friday, uh, but then uh, yeah, when, when the the gate drops on Saturday, you're you're out there uh, racing as a full a full blown privateer at uh, Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Nationals in the 450 class. Um, for those who, uh, who, who don't stay up on, on all the, uh, the ins and outs of, uh, the different privateers, uh, give us a, a little bit of a rundown. Who the heck do we have on the phone here? <laughs> well, obviously the, the number's 297. Um, well, I've been, this is my fifth year racing pro and okay. total man. And, uh, just trying to, I do about five to six nationals a year, give or take what the, what the budget and the finances will allow. Um, <laughs> But yeah, man, uh, just obviously trying to make the show and uh, trying to make it into the mains on the weekends. Obviously, this year it's super, super stacked. So, you know, I've been having a little bit, <laughs> a little bit more trouble than than usual. So, but yeah, just trying to make at least even get into the LCQ, dude. It's tough nowadays compared to what it was three years ago. No kidding. Yeah, the 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 the, the pace goes up every single year uh you got all these kids that uh they grow up at the the training facilities and they just keep getting faster year over year and it, it's amazing to see but yeah it definitely does make it more difficult for uh some privateers to uh to make it into the uh into the motos or sometimes even into the lcq um you've been to you've you've done five you're doing five nationals this year you're heading off to ironman in just a couple of days here uh take us through uh the the prep for this season uh what goes into it and uh, the commitment necessary for you to uh, to do all that oh um man the the commitment itself dude you got to have absolute passion for the sport of motocross to even to begin to want to do this as a privateer um I mean, typically, man, during race season, so I work typically two to three days out of the week, and then the other two I'll spend traveling, getting to the races. So it really doesn't leave me with a whole lot of time to ride during the actual week itself. Um, after that, man, obviously Friday we have to be there for tech inspection and to get parked and all that. Um, Saturday's race day. We're up bright and early, and then Saturday I, I don't even stick around, man. I, I leave, come home, and you know, during the race season, we just pack up, do it all again. So it, it's it's nonstop during the week. And then, you know, off season, it gets to ride quite a bit. Um, weekends mainly, whenever I'm not working five days a week. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's nonstop, dude. You just stay on the go. Um, always, always on the ball, man. Love it, man. That is uh, true passion. Sounds like you have a very understanding wife, and uh, is that who's spinning wrenches for you, or at least pitboarding for you on weekends, or what's the story there? Actually, man, this is the first year I've, I've ever even had a mechanic come to the races, but yes, uh, the years past, um, she was spinning wrenches for me, so it was just me and her on the road doing this stuff together, but um, this year I decided to up and hire somebody to actually give me a little bit more of a hand. His name's Walker Taylor. Okay. Um, he's been helping me out so far this year. So it's been a good one thus far. Obviously my results, I'm sure, as you've seen on paper, aren't the hottest, but dude, like, like I said, the field is so, so, so stacked this year. Yeah, it's a stacked field and dude, you're, you're out there, uh, competing at the, at the very, like bar none, like, uh, going out there, testing your metal, uh, riding a, uh, a nationally prepped track is, uh, is something that very few get to say they can, they've done. And, uh, and you get to do exactly that and, uh, and test your metal weekend over weekend. Um, 
spin the clocks back for us a little bit uh, about five years when you you first wanted to start racing some of these nationals. Uh, what was the thought process to uh, want to throw your hat in the ring? What was that first national like? And uh, and and where do you call home? Because uh, we haven't gotten back to that yet. Um, so well, home's West Virginia. I live right okay. outside of Morgantown, um, West Virginia, which ironically, MX Sports, the whole promo right there series is based out of Morgantown, West Virginia. So. It, it, yeah, it's kind of ironic that literally I live in the same, you know, same stomping grounds is where the sport kind of got started at. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, dude, I uh, five years ago, I ended up doing my first national was actually um, New Brunswick at Riverglade up in Canada. Oh, wow. So I, yeah, that There's was a Canadian connection. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, man. Um, that was my uh, very first pro national I ever actually tried for. Obviously, I had to go back to America. I had to get my pro am points. Um, I tried my hand at some arena cross to get my SX license. I didn't end up getting that, but I got my pro card for outdoors. And, uh, but yeah, so Morgantown, West Virginia's home Canadian nationals were actually my first hand at trying to get into this stuff. So, so obviously like a Canadian national, uh, more often than not, there's no qualifying. there is qualifying, but there's no, uh, they don't, they usually don't send too many people home, especially way out on the East, East coast there. They struggle for numbers, but, uh, straight into the motos for you there. How was your experience racing the Canadian? Uh, th- those would have been the, the first couple of seasons of the triple crown series. And, um, yeah, like how'd you fare there? And then, uh, that must've given you some confidence to, uh, to want to try it stateside. Yeah, actually, like you said, straight into the motos, man. I mean, dude, it it was actually a really cool experience because the Triple Crown Series is pretty laid back in a Very. sense towards like, you know, we, you know what we have here in the States, man, because everything is so strict here in the U.S. and about how things are done and who can do what and when they can do it. You know, like you said, pretty much you are, you're almost straight into the motos typically on any given weekend on the east side there. Um but yeah, dude, it, it, it made me want to do that. And I was like, okay, you know, if I can do pretty decent up there, you know, I think I can come back and, and boy, th- that was kind of an eye opener coming back to the States. And then after I got my license, um, you know, that, that was an eye opener that I really wanted to do this and like settle down and be like, okay, well, like I really want to try my hand at this and if I can get better and just progress and progress. But, you know, unfortunately, um, things kind of took a turn after I broke my back in uh, 2020. Um, okay. So I really haven't had like, you know, the best on par results, like I said, since probably 2020, 2020 was my best season. I think I ever had doing the U S pro nationals. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, dude, the Canadian stuff's what, what got me started into all this. Fair enough. Well, uh, maybe, uh, you, you said, you said off air that this might be uh, your last season doing the American stuff. Maybe that uh, opens the door for uh, a few more trips, uh, on the other side of the border. Once of course that sort of opens up a little bit, uh, more reasonable. I'd imagine with COVID things, uh, it's still a little bit kind of, uh, there's some gymnastics to, um, to navigate in order to go race up in Canada, like as far as, like vaccination verification and whatnot. I'm not exactly how sure how it works, but um, yeah, we've certainly haven't had nearly as many Americans come up and race the series this year. In fact, I, I don't think aside from, and like Josiah Natsuki's not even from the States, he's from New Zealand. So I'm not entirely sure what the, the protocol is right now, but the, whatever it is, has certainly hurt the numbers. Um, racing the Canadian, like racing American nationals, Canadian nationals, uh, no, no small task either side of the border. Um, how do you get, like, how do you prepare yourself just like to, to put in the laps and, and like 
make sure that you're you're physically ready to to, to ride because like you said uh you're a nine to fiver as well you work full-time job sometimes three or four days a week minimum um on top of trying to get some training in and some riding in as well how do you balance it all um so dude during like preseason stuff i uh trained with a good buddy um nick Fratsor. he was actually at one point top 25 top 30 guy here in the nationals oh, yeah. and he's pretty much well retired now but him and i live pretty close together so we would uh <laughs> like prior coming into the season we'd do 30s or we'd do 45s even sometimes during you know the weekends and whenever we both could swing a day that we weren't working um him and i would train pretty much together we still do now um he's got a private track and then we go to like tomahawk mx if we can maybe just on the weekend or like i said whenever whatever day we get off but we do a lot of 30s um i have a home gym so that really helps. I can work out in the morning and get yep. what I need to do in for workouts. And then on top of that, if I can get a riding session in on a weekend, at least once a week at a minimum. For sure. And you got to put it, put in those long, uh, long motos. But on top of that, like, like basically a guy in your situation, you're more concerned with qualifying times, like putting in that heater so you can put a, uh, be up there in the qualifying so that you can even uh, qualify for the LCQ and the LCQ is not as long as a regular moto. You, you almost have to uh, structure your training around uh, sprinting more than you would about uh, being able to go 35 plus two, because I guess that that's really the next hurdle once, uh, once you're in there. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You got to get sprint laps in too, man. We do sometimes we'll just do 15 minute sprints. And then on top of that, you know, like I said, we'll do thirties or, we were doing 45s. We cut back on doing that. So typically just 30s or like 15-minute sprints, just trying to, you know, to similar, you know, like to simulate what a qualifying session would be like. Certainly. And, and honestly, like uh, um, this last year, uh, Canadian Nationals introduced a three-moto format, which was shorter motos. Um, and you, you can vibe off this if, if you, you connect with it or not. I honestly think this, I love this, the, like, I love the, the long motos. Don't get me wrong. I'm old school. I love uh, old school motocross guys uh, like Bob Hanna going, uh, uh, riding their motorcycle to, to, to school uh, in the snow both ways uphill. Uh, and all that stuff, 45-minute motos and uh, never running out of gas somehow. But, like, a lot of those, a lot of outdoor motos, they're kind of, they, they're over long before the checkered flag comes out. Um, would you ever consider, or would you, would you think to see some, some serious benefits? Would we get better racing with, uh, with some shorter motos where guys are fresher throughout? Or, uh, or keep it uh, long and arduous the way it is? Well, I mean, I, I do see it from both sides, I guess, from the perspective as like people don't get burnt out as much doing the like the 15, you know what I mean? It's less grueling, right. but it also, you know, in turn that, that causes the pace to be a lot harder than what it is for that 30 plus two. So I could see both sides like 30 plus two brings out like the, the grit, like the nitty gritty, you know, the, the true, you know, badasses that can really hang it out, you know, for 30 minutes plus two laps or sometimes even, you know, 35 minutes, whatever it comes out to be. And, uh, yeah, man, I mean, you, you, I see it both ways, but I mean, personally, I probably prefer the 15 minute moto over the 30, but I mean, yeah, that, that is a cool format. I didn't even know that they did started doing that up there. Actually, that's news to me. Yeah, they did two, two rounds where there was, uh, three motos. Uh, so it still adds up to, uh, um, like an even number of motos over the course of the year. And, uh, I think I, I was a fan of it, honestly, like, especially in Canadian moto where they like, uh, the depth of, t of, of talent is not as, um, 
Like it, it's, it's obviously it's just not as deep. So if a guy gets a bad start by midway through the moto, like if it's, if, even if it's 30 minutes or 25 minutes, by by 20 minutes in, like he's moved all the way to the front and they've sort of just gapped each other out and they just do follow the leader for the next 10 minutes. Um, when it cut like when if it was a shorter moto, uh, you keep guys maybe a little bit more fresh, maybe a little bit more uh, um, like. You guys are a little bit more start dependent. Lord knows a, a guy like uh, Ryder McNabb. I'm not sure if you're you're super up on the series right now, but uh, he, he struggles with his start. So I don't know if he would have wrapped up the championship the way he did this year. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I, I honestly I, I think that it would be uh, a, a neat uh, wrinkle to throw in. And uh, and maybe that's something that they go to for this new uh, super motocross uh, format. I know they have the supercross triple crowns. If they're mixing that with motocross, maybe uh, three fifteen uh, minute motos rather than and, and and do it like point style. So. Yeah, that 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 would be sick, man. Like you said, man. I mean, like the the burnout rate. You know, like even for a guy like myself, let's say for example, I do make the motos and you know, we're running 30 plus two, dude, I'm already smoked by the time those guys are already four or five laps in dude, plus the heat, plus you have everything going else, everything else going into, you know, what you have during the week going into the race weekend, plus on top of that racing. So yeah, the 15 minute aspect, dude, that would be, that would actually be a really, really smart idea. So I could see that being super beneficial, especially like higher sprint speed. You could really push the, push the envelope a little more. Certainly. So, uh, why, why a Yamaha, uh, and why FXR racing? Uh, like why do you choose some of the, the different brands you currently work with both on the sponsorship side? And I assume you're also uh, spending some of your hard earned money for a lot of these parts and accessories, which honestly, in my opinion, uh, is a huge vote of confidence from a privateer who's actually willing to throw shell out their actual hard earned dollars uh, of what they actually select. Like you're, you're in a 60 helmet, which is a fantastic helmet. They make great stuff. Uh, and they've also partnered with, with, uh, FXR for some stuff. Um, when, when privateers choose things, a lot of times they're choosing like the, the best available product that, that, that they can afford. Uh, and they're actually using, like I said, their own dollars to do it. Whereas a guy like uh, Eli Tomac, he wears a bell helmet because bell helmet strikes him a big old check. Uh, he'd probably like, I don't know if he'd wear, he'd wear a bell helmet or not, but uh, um, like we, we don't really get the answer to that because he's got that check uh, in place. So, I, I mean, overall, man, like you said, 60, dude, it's hands down, you know, it's one of the, like you said, we, we pick the best products because, A, I want to be safe in what I'm wearing. I wear the CTI knee braces, you know, because I've had a couple knee surgeries and I don't want to go out there and destroy my knees again, you know. Same thing with the bell, or the, I'm sorry, the 60 helmet that I wear. I mean, I got, uh, when I broke my back, man, I had zero head trauma, no nothing, no, no concussion even, dude. And everything went straight to my back, given if I was wearing maybe a, a neck brace that might not have happened. I, I don't know, you know, but like, you know, we, we put our own money into our equipment. So we want it to be worth what we're paying for it. So the Yamaha reliability, dude, parts are cheap. I can't afford KTM parts. <laughs> I mean, that's just straight up truth. And these things seem to last a, a good while. They're reliable the products, plastics, you know, I'm using Excel wheels because they hold up. Um, fmf pipe because it's american made and it's good good equipment overall so Fair yeah enough. i mean and little d is just a good guy i like right right i'm a big like i, I buy from people not as much as companies like little like little d from fmf donnie emler jr has always had time for me if i texted him right now he'd get back to me by the end of the show and that honestly holds a lot of water with me as far as uh um 
like working with specific companies and working with specific people. And, uh, and Donnie Amler Jr. is certainly one of them. Absolutely, man. Yeah. You want to put your money where, you know, you think it's going to, you're going to get the most out of it. So I truly feel that that's, uh, like you said, that's a whole privateer thing right there. Cause you want to get your money's worth. So Awesome. So uh, you're, you're heading off to Ironman. I don't expect we'll see you at uh, at Paula at Fox Raceway last round of the series. Um, but like you mentioned off air that this um, like might be this actually like very well could be kind of like a farewell tour uh, swan song for you. This last national uh, reasoning for that. And uh, um, is that something you're saying right now? Because it's been a long, grueling five or six rounds at the at the nationals this year and in uh may of next year you're in full prep again and uh you've convinced the wife of doing four or five more again <laughs> um well yeah we we i've talked to so this has kind of been like the plan from like the start of the season even going into it um absolutely dude i love racing my dirt bike i, I wouldn't be doing this if i didn't but yes i i wholeheartedly don't think there's going to be any more four or five race deals for me anymore um, just for the, you know, the reason, like I haven't, I've financially invested so much into this in the last few years. It's like, you want to see, and like, I've put in so much of it, you know, my own time, effort, everything out of it, man. And I expect, you know, a lot more out of myself than what I've, you know, gotten out of it, I guess. Okay. And, uh, but maybe, you know, like high point, dude, that's, that's my local national. So like, dude, it's that's right hard there. Not- Dude, it's literally right there. I'm 25, 30 minutes tops away from high point. So that's like, that one's hard not to do, man. I mean, I'll, I'll probably still keep my pro card, still try for high point, maybe even Bud's Creek, but no more Ironman, no more Unadilla, no more, um, you know, not even, you know, the West Coast stuff, Washougal or any of that. I'd, I'd love to go out, man. If, if there were a financial opportunity like available for that, then yeah, I'd say, okay, let's go give it a go. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think I'll be at. Uh, I'm I'm not signed up for Paula, just Ironman, and that should round out my season. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, I'll I'll throw one thing by you, uh, which is something that I've thought of for a number of years. And I can't believe no no privateer has ever done it, and and maybe just because it's 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 impractical and no one would go for it. But how has a privateer never been sponsored by U-Haul? U-Haul. That that's a good question, man. I mean, like, 1999. Just do bo- <laughs> like do the full box fan experience, right? Dude. Like, and it would actually, man, that's like the way to do it, dude. Because like half, okay, man, to, not to throw it out, you know, like a chunk of the privateers, but dude, some of the guys are rolling up in like six figure, you know, motorhomes, yeah. even privateer guys. And I'm like, why, dude? You don't need that, like, dude. I do it straight out of my Chevy Express fan. I know, I see that. Dude, I mean, it's uh, I, literally like what you would picture of a privateer, dude. I'm probably the definition. <laughs> well, that's why you're definition. on the call, man. I, I looked through your Instagram. Like, this guy is basically as privateer as privateer comes. He's essentially like a faster version of me and my buddies who could only just dream of racing one of these nationals or even trying to qualify for one. And yeah, so you're yeah, you fit the bill. Yeah, dude, the U-Haul, dude, that would be, that would be epic because, I mean, dude, you got like, what, 16-foot box truck, dude, that'd be, that'd be great. You can fit whatever, you could live in that thing if you wanted to, you know? Yeah, like, <laughs> what I'm seeing is, like, what I'm, I'm imagining is, like, a guy like Kevin Morans, who's great with marketing, he's great with, like, along, someone along those lines, someone who's going to make it into a lot of motos, and, like, get a, a 16-foot uh, a box van, 
like work with U-Haul corporate to get the get them a truck that's like good to go, no issues with it. Outfit the thing like with everything you'd have to need to run a race program out of. And then like then you literally have a rolling billboard going coast to coast to coast and back again. Uh, you have a service center for U-Haul anywhere you want to go. And then you could like literally any national or supercross, you could have a local, because I think U-Haul is a franchise thing. You could have a, a local franchisee set up an awning and he's handing out brochures at your pit. Dude, yeah, that's genius. <laughs> that really like, is genius. Man. You know, and the U-Haul is a, like, that's like, they're basically like Kleenex of moving stuff. And... Like they they they'd be able to service the vehicle anywhere it goes. You could set up shop at like a local U-Haul um, outlet, I guess. I don't know what you want to call that, and like do an autograph session the Thursday before a national or a Supercross. I love that idea, and I can't believe no one's ever done it. That is a sick idea, man. I mean, dude, what was his name? Oh, Logan Carnell. Um, he didn't he do uh, one of the Supercross rounds out of one of those budget? Is kind of similar yeah. To that's about like. Like the budget Dude, truck or whatever it is, like it's just a rolling billboard. And you know how like sometimes U-Haul has like sort of like a mural as well as U-Haul. You could like have it wrapped with like Supercross, like you're like the rider, his bike, kind of like maybe like cartoon animated with the U-Haul logo. And uh, yeah, I think there there is some like marketing potential there that no one's tapping into. And uh, that's an outside the sport sport idea too. Cause uh, more, more often than not, everyone just like hits up Dunlop tires for an extra 25 bucks. But right. Right. <laughs> yeah, man, dude, I might have to hit them up. <laughs> Send them an email. Hey, <laughs> you guys want to help a brother out? Next yeah. <laughs> get, get me to wash Shugel and back. That's all I need. Right, no doubt. Dude, that one would be a dream. That track looks amazing. Doesn't it, though? Like, everyone always talks about the shadows, and it's slick, and this, that, and the other thing. Honestly, commoners like myself would probably just relish in it, and we'd just be all over the place, be loving it. Obviously, I'm not pushing my, my bike anywhere close to how how the top guys are, so maybe I wouldn't like it so much at that at those, at that speed, but uh, um, yeah, that's neither here nor there. So when you're out for practice and qualifying, like you're in the B group, I'd imagine, um, like it, it's still even amazing the the pace that you guys can go, even even in the B group, uh, and some some really special th- like you basically have ten minutes, uh, you take a sight lap, essentially size up the jumps, and then they basically just they they blow the horn, green flag uh, qualifying, and uh, see what you can make happen in basically four of your fastest laps on a track that you have aside from high point, very little time on. Right, dude. It, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. In theory, like it, it is crazy, dude. Like there's been a lot of tracks. I've never ridden a day in my life, dude. Like some of those national tracks, look at the green flag, man. I'm like, dude, I still don't even know the track. So it's like, you know, you either, you gotta like tag along or like trying to tow in behind somebody that you know is going to size up the jumps, like within the first two laps, dude, because that's, that's super key. If you can get all the track down right away, throw down a heater in the first, you want to throw down a heater in the first qualifying session, dude, because by the second one, dude, the the track's totally brutal. I mean, it's, it's already destroyed and they don't really touch anything up. So yeah, I mean, dude, you got really a whole, maybe 12 minutes tops to get a, to get a good time in your first session. Because like I said, man, come second session, track gets faster. It's more chewed up. Top guys are on their game. They already know the track. They're on their pace. So you better be on it by, you know, that first session. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. So, um, yeah, maybe maybe no more uh, four or five race deals for you. Uh, this last this uh, the national this coming up weekend at uh, at Ironman might be a little bit bittersweet for you. What's uh, what's a national track that uh, that you liked more than you thought you would, and uh, and what's a national track that you will will not miss going back to? Oh man. Okay. So actually, I just had that situation happen to me this year. Spring Creek was it. I didn't think I was going to like that track. Um, actually, once I walked the track Friday, dude, I was like, this track is sweet. You oh, know, it was just one of those, like, it's beautiful. Yeah, dude. It was like, oh my God, like this looks so much fun. But like from where I had seen and, you know, like from some of the other racers I'd heard talk about it, like, oh my God, this track's so gnarly. One of the gnarliest ones of the year. Dude, it was one of my favorites. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, okay, like that was like polar opposite. So that actually is probably in my, one of my top three um favorites yeah one that i would truly not ever care to ride again would probably be unadilla i was gonna say it's, it's, it's you know dilla i know like it's it's gotta be like even uh carmichael uh, took his shots at that track on his way out uh why is it uh unadilla is it the rocks is it it's just not 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 as lonely as it once was back in the 80s we know all about that but what is your reasoning for not wanting to go back there um, that's hands down, probably the gnarliest one of the year, man. I mean, like it was like, it was not even like a normal Unadilla. Like last year it rained, um, pretty hard the night before. So we kind of saw like the regular Unadilla last year, pretty rutted up, um, pretty soft kind of play doughy. Um, but this year, dude, it was like riding on slick concrete with a few ruts and a lot of choppy breaking bumps. Like it was like what you would think of like a local race, like your local race you don't really care for, but just totally chewed up like at the end of the day that's what you'd be riding on for second practice fair enough fair enough so, well that it, it's just not a fun one no nope, not a fun and, one and motocross is all about having fun uh do you think do you see yourself uh just racing uh racing locally after this just being weekend warrior like a guy like myself and uh and continuing to ride and race and uh and also manage your your mom's uh restaurant family restaurant absolutely Absolutely, man. I, I I will never quit riding dirt bikes for the sheer joy of it. Um, I definitely would like to go back to Loretta's at some point, maybe for a vet class. Um, that would be in the cards. Um, maybe at some point, maybe like plus 30 or, or something of that nature. Um, maybe, like I said, dude, high point once a year. I might do that national still. Um, aside from that, man, I, I think my goal is just like really just like go back to Loretta's plus 30. Like that would be super cool to me just a good like thing to really want to do you know amen to that man i've been local i've been racing locally in uh this beautiful class called the plus 30 b class it's uh it's slow guys that are going to work on monday and uh and there's zero pressure but uh some great racing in there you got some guys who race with each other very respectfully uh put in their laps and uh yeah we, we all uh just have a beer about it afterwards um Goals for this weekend uh, could very well likely be the last time you race at uh, Ironman. Um, more than likely will be. Uh, what would you like to accomplish for it? Uh, and how are you going to go about making that happen? Um, well, I do definitely want to at least get into this LCQ, man. That like has been my goal this entire year, especially with how the field's been. Um, just go out there, dude, and literally just send it as hard as I can with it. Like you said, being my last time, I'm probably ever even going to set foot at Ironman. Um, yeah, dude, just go out, shred. But most importantly, dude, have fun with it. Take it in, you know, because like, you know, like you said earlier in the podcast, like 
not a whole lot of people get to do what I'm getting to do right now. So you, you really got to soak it in and take it for what it's worth. So it's uh, one of those things you just kind of have to, to sit on and think about and enjoy while you're in the moment, you know. Absolutely. Well, I, I certainly hope you do take the time to soak that in and just be in the moment, uh, appreciate the scenario and uh, and go out there. And I think that might be the linchpin that uh, that makes it a very special weekend for you and uh, and making it into that LCQ. And then who knows from there? It's a short race. Anything can happen. Uh, and you, you make something special happen in there. Um and then I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say you're racing next year at, uh, at, at high point. At the very least, you'll be racing that until you're just not, not feeling capable of it. Um, but then that, that's great to see as well. Absolutely, dude. Yeah, I, I'd say high point's definitely a go for next year just for the fact, like I said, it's literally like my backyard. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can't, I can't not do that. Like that, that's just poor decision making if I don't, <laughs> you know, pal, yeah, it, it's literally just so close and. I would be kind of, I'd regret it if I didn't, you know, just one of those things. But as for the rest, man, they're probably not going to happen. Maybe a Bud's Creek, that, that'd probably be as bad as far as I go. Fair enough. Uh, last couple questions I have for you. Uh, wear and tear on a motorcycle when you're racing five or six rounds. Like you said, you don't get a lot of time to ride during the week, but nationals and riding at that caliber is abrasive on a motorcycle regardless uh what do you find you're you're uh, replacing the most on uh it, like how, how hard is racing nationals on a more on a motorcycle um and uh and and like sort of like what's what's the week-to-week expenses like uh going from one race to the next so so far this year man our biggest my biggest expense on all this has been tires and it has been clutches I don't know why my clutches have been frying out. I guess I'm using them more this year than ever. I've went through three sets of clutches and five, so far five nationals. I don't have any more left for the year. So <laughs> what I got for this weekend is what I got. Um, but yeah, dude, I'm racing pretty much a bone stock YZ450 with a pipe, some race fuel, and good suspension. And that's it, dude. I mean, it's it's pretty much just plain Jane. I try to keep it that way. That way, if I do need to replace something offhand, dude, I can get it off my practice bike rip it off that and but yeah i'd say clutches and tires and race fuel are probably my biggest expenses um it seems like the clutch plates do not especially the oem ones they do not hold up for these whatsoever especially with how deep the ruts are you know trying to track and get through a lot of the turns dude you got to be really on the on the pipe and it seems to to smoke your clutches as well pretty quick well, there you go. And uh, who have been your, aside from your wife, who, like we, we mentioned right off the cuff, uh, she's the, the most understanding woman in the in the whole wide world. Uh, who have been some of your best supporters in throughout this time where you race uh, quite a few nationals year to year? Uh, it's, it's a no small undertaking and uh, you, you need to have some companies that back you and uh, and really help out. So who have those companies been not only this year, but even years previous? Um, definitely FXR, man. They have helped me from the start. Um, even from back to like, I think my second year racing in Canada. I mean, they've helped me out with gear, um, big time, uh, Ebensburg, Yamaha helping me out, trying to get a bike. They always got a bike for me. The first, you know, the first new model that comes out for the year, they've got it sitting waiting for me. So they help out big time. Obviously my wife, um, Aserby's plastic, uh, renegade race fuel and, uh, Sunstar sprockets and ride Dunlop. There you go. It's like, uh, yeah, you need some fresh rubber. Uh, 
after at all these nationals and uh yeah hit up uh dunlop tires basically like in my like you can you can go out and buy yourself uh some michelins you can go out and buy yourself some uh some pirellis or uh bridgestones but i support the company that supports the sport and uh dunlop is there at every single national uh i got all all the time in the world for uh um the MX Golden Boy himself, Brock Glover, as well as all the guys over at the truck that are uh, flipping tires. They've been nice enough to throw a few tires on a set of rims that I brought over there. Maybe I should keep that under my hat. Uh, but either way, uh, Dunlop uh, does a lot for the sport, and uh, glad to hear that they're supporting you as well. Absolutely, man. Yes, they do. They're uh, they're a great tire company and probably the best uh, best tire I've ran personally. Right on, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, come on the Big MX Radio podcast. Uh, get let us get to know you a little bit and your story and your uh, your program for 2022. And um, yeah, I I can't get sent give you enough uh, good luck for this weekend, man. Uh, I hope that um, you put an exclamation point on this sort of time and period within your motocross career, uh, racing some nationals and, uh, yeah, like kind of go out with a bang and uh, put yourself in that LCQ and, uh, and let whatever's going to happen, happen after that, man. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me on the pod. Appreciate it, my friend. You have yourself a great rest of your day. Do not hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we're going to cut it off right there. And there you have it. My interview with none other than Vincent Harrison. Great guy. Great conversation. Had an awesome time talking to him. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to that. Uh, wanted to just sort of go off the map uh, when when calling up uh, um, Vincent. He's a guy who probably doesn't get a lot of uh, PR, uh, but I think he did a fantastic job. And uh, he's got a great story within the sport of motocross, and I wanted to have that told. Um, before I let you guys go here on uh, episode 862 of the Big MX Radio podcast, I want to give a huge wedding anniversary uh, congratulations, uh, 19 years to JC and Jacqueline Seitz out in Calgary, Alberta. Uh, great friends of mine. Um, I consider um, JC to be a great uh, mentor to me, great guy. They've got a great family. Uh, their son Dexter is on the mend right now and wishing him nothing but the best and uh, sending some healing vibes out his way. But I uh, wanted to take a moment to do that. He's uh, uh, a, a great friend and uh, someone who I really look up to. So, um, yeah, like uh, happy anniversary, guys. Hope it's a great day and ho- hope it's a great weekend. Uh, that was uh, it's the it's August 23rd, uh, 2022 when I'm recording this. So uh, it's their anniversary today. You'll be listening to this on the 24th. But uh, yeah, have a have a great one, guys. Thanks for listening.